Hey there, I'm Daphna Chazen, and this is the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast. On the show, we talk about managing PCOS using proven strategies, ditching diets for good, and balancing hormones naturally. Let's get to it. Welcome back to today's episode. We are talking about estrogen and progesterone. And of course, this ties back to periods and menstrual cycles and how to regulate them. This is probably one of the most common complaints that I get from women. They want to understand their cycle better. They want to ovulate regularly and not have to worry about their period, whether it's coming early, late, spotting, all of the things, but they're not sure how to do it. They don't even know where to start. And sometimes we don't even understand the basic biology of what's happening with our cycle because we're never taught this. So this is not your fault if it's your situation. And this is important even if fertility is not on your mind. Of course, it's important if you're trying to get pregnant, but even if not, And even if you never want to have kids, which is totally okay, you still need to know what's happening with your cycle. We still want to make sure that you're ovulating. And there are many health benefits that are associated with a healthy period that you should be concerned about and worry about and have to, you know, kind of think about if you want your overall health to be better. And so one of the things that we now know is that a healthy period is one of the vital signs. It's kind of like your body's report card. And so it's important, it's crucial, and it's not just something to worry about when you're looking to get pregnant. Now, we all know that balancing hormones is important for PCOS, of course, and especially for regulating the menstrual cycle. But what does that even mean? There are dozens, if not hundreds of hormones in your body There are hunger hormones, stress hormones, sex hormones, all different types of hormones. They are all somewhat interconnected, but are they all important for period regularity? Well, today's episode is about two specific hormones that we are going to talk about that are probably the most important, and those are estrogen and progesterone. They are crucial for a consistent, healthy period and regular ovulation. And what you'll hear here today is a training that I did inside my program, the period return plan, where I help women with PCOS get their period back within 90 days or less and have confirmed ovulation like clockwork every month. That is the only thing we do in that program. 90 days, we get you from having irregular periods, from being, you know, someone who struggles with cycles that are long or too short, or maybe your period is super heavy, painful, and clotty. What we do inside this program is we sort it all out. And within 90 days, you are going to have a healthy period and a regular cycle. Now, by the way, if you're interested in learning more about the program and get notified when I open the doors again, and also get a special early bird prize to join if it sounds like the right fit for you, please join the waitlist. It's open now, meaning the waitlist is open. It's 100% commitment free. And all you have to do is just put your name there. And when the doors open and the program is ready to enroll, you will get notified and get that little discount. So go to daphnachazen.com slash waitlist, daphnachazen.com slash waitlist, and you'll be able to add your name to the early bird special there. Now, again, what you'll hear today is just one of the many trainings inside the program, and it's designed to teach you how to eat in a way that balances estrogen and progesterone specifically and give you the strategies and education you need to keep those two hormones in the optimal range 
ranges as a person with PCOS. And of course, that's going to be super helpful if you're having any sort of period problems right now. All right, so let's get into this training all about balancing your estrogen and progesterone. We are talking today about balancing estrogen and progesterone because these two hormones are the key to a healthy cycle and to optimizing fertility. And even if you're someone who's not interested in having kids now or ever, it doesn't really matter. You should still be concerned or focused on making sure your estrogen and progesterone levels are healthy and that you know what impacts them. So today you're going to learn the different phases of your cycle. We'll do a brief overview of that. We'll also talk about which hormones dominate each phase of the cycle, how to optimize your nutrition and lifestyle to support your hormones, specifically estrogen and progesterone throughout the menstrual cycle. We'll talk about food. We'll talk about lifestyle factors. And we'll also talk about what not to do, which is sometimes important as well. Okay. So just a really brief general overview. Your cycle, your menstrual cycle has four phases. The menstrual phase, follicular ovulation, which is a very short phase, is usually about 24 hours. And then the luteal phase. A healthy cycle. And again, when I say cycle, I mean the whole menstrual cycle from day one of your period until the next first day of your period. That is what we call the cycle. Your period is the actual time that you're bleeding. Okay. So that's just a little terminology. Your cycle is day one of your period to the next day one of your period. And that could be four or five, six weeks later. Your period is the actual time that you are bleeding, which generally would be somewhere around five days, could be seven days or slightly shorter than that. So there are usually a healthy cycle is 21 to 35 days in total. On average is 28 days. The first day of your consistent bleeding is considered day one. And then, like I said, the bleed usually lasts five to seven days and it should be bright red in color. The flow should be medium to heavy and it should taper off. And it should really not be clotty or clumpy or painful or anything like that. So if you get a period and you don't know that your period is coming and when you're on your period, you can pretty much continue doing what you're doing, your normal activities, you're not bed bound, you're not unable to move around comfortably. That's a good sign. That's a sign of a healthy period. The menstrual phase, like I said, is when you're bleeding. So that would be from day zero or one to day seven. And that bleeding is, of course, the shedding of the uterus lining. At this point, during the menstrual phase, your hormones are at their lowest. They're basically flatlined. Now, we want to focus on a few different things here. I don't want to spend too much time on it because this phase, nothing much is happening for the most part, but we do want to focus on rest and maintaining stable energy levels and just staying more calm and relaxed during the menstrual phase. So a lot of decaf herbal teas, especially if you have cramping or mild pain, that can help. Flaxseeds are important here because they help reduce or keep in balance your estrogen levels. So flaxseeds are you know, going to help you set the stage for estrogen, which is going to be really important in the next phase, which is the follicular phase. So we're going to talk about that in a second. And of course, if you have blood loss, like everyone does during their period, you're going to want to focus on iron and zinc, replenishing those minerals in your body. 
And we do that usually with proteins. So your menstrual phase while you're on your period is a good time to eat lean beef and shellfish and fish because that really helps with iron, zinc, and protein. And we also want some leafy greens to reduce the inflammation. So especially if you're more sensitive to pain during your period, which most people are, and that's because of something called prostaglandins. Those are chemicals that your body releases during your period that make you more sensitive to pain. So if you try to do something as simple as plucking your eyebrows, you'll notice that it's more painful during your period than all other times of the month. And that is because you have these neurotransmitters, these agents in your body, those chemicals that make you more susceptible or more sensitive to pain. Okay. And so we want to lower that inflammation. We want to make sure those prostaglandins stay under control and don't take over. And we can do that with things like leafy greens, so spinach, kale, Swiss chard, those are all great ways to lower inflammation. Okay, let's move on to talking about the follicular phase. This is a really important phase of your cycle. It starts right at the end of your period bleed for the most part, and it takes about two weeks, but it can be much longer with PCOS. So women with PCOS can ovulate on day 14, which would be kind of textbook, but Many, many times that's not the case and you will ovulate on day 18 or 20 or even 30, okay? Now, if you ovulate on day 30, that means your cycle is long. It's 45 days probably. And so that's a little bit long, but some women with PCOS will have 45-day cycle as their normal. It's not ideal. It's not optimal, but it can be normal. And if you're ovulating regularly, that is a good thing that allows you to you know, plan for your fertility and, and feel comfortable that your body is still ovulating, even though the cycle is long. But for the most part, we want ovulation somewhere around day 14, let's say to 20, because that would allow for a 35 day cycle at most. So after ovulation, 14 days after ovulation is where most people will get a period. Okay. So if you know the day that you ovulate, you can more or less predict the day of your period. Okay, so it takes two weeks approximately this whole phase, the follicular phase, but it can be longer. And this phase ends with ovulation, which is the main event of the cycle. Now, during the follicular phase, what's happening in your body is kind of like the final race to ovulation for your eggs. One lucky mature egg will be released from your ovary. And this final race is where about six to eight follicles are maturing and they enter this final stage before ovulation, but those eggs are selected a hundred days earlier. Okay. And so what you do today will impact your cycle in three months from now, in a hundred days from now. And so this is why period health takes time. It takes patience. It requires consistency. But I wanted you to know that the egg that's released this month was actually selected three months ago for, for ovulation, okay? And this very special egg will travel the fallopian tube for 12 to 24 hours, which is the time that it can get fertilized, okay? So that's just a little overview of the follicular phase. Now, another thing that happens here, and you'll see how it all ties back to estrogen and progesterone, is that a hormone named FSH, follicle-stimulating hormone. And as you can tell by the name, this is the hormone that stimulates your follicles and makes your ovaries release estrogen, 
And what you feel during this time of the, the month is great. You feel more energy. You have higher libido. You're in a great mood. And what's happening is that when your ovaries released estrogen, it thickens the uterine lining. Now, what we don't want is too much estrogen being released. So we want estrogen, but we want to keep it under control. We want the levels to stay within a healthy range. And oftentimes with PCOS, that is not the case because estrogen levels can rise for a really long time because there is no ovulation. So I'll explain all of this in a second. But it's important to know that excess estrogen can be caused by your ovaries producing too much estrogen, and then your body not detoxifying it properly, meaning your body is making too much estrogen and it has not a good system or not a good pathway to getting rid of it, getting rid of the waste of estrogen that's produced in the body. And that can lead to a situation where you have too much estrogen and then there's a lot of symptoms like PMS, right? Before your period, you feel irritable, you feel bloated, you have a lot of fluid retention, you have breast pain, you have a migraine, maybe all of those very nasty PMS symptoms can be the result of too much estrogen. And it's also important to know that too much estrogen can cause inflammation. And so it's linked to more disease risk, like heart disease risk, and even cancer. And so we want to keep estrogen under control. We want to keep it within the right range. And we do that by detoxifying estrogen properly, making sure your ovaries are making the right amount. We also want to make sure your energy levels stay stable during this time. And we want to make sure that we're lengthening the luteal phase, meaning we're keeping your estrogen to progesterone balance. So by the end of the follicular phase, we have a certain amount of estrogen that peaks right before ovulation, which is the next phase. And once you ovulate, that allows your body to produce progesterone and estrogen levels start to drop. So what are some of those foods that help us support estrogen, both the production and the getting rid of it, the detoxification of, of estrogen in your body properly? Well, in order to detoxify estrogen properly, we need the liver to work really well and we need your gut to work really well. So what we want to focus on are foods like cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, sprouts, cabbage, cauliflower, greens, Brussels sprouts, bok choy, all of those vegetables, they contain two very important compounds. One of them is called indole-3-carbonyl. Don't worry, you don't have to remember this. And then the other one is called sulforaphane. And they really help your body detoxify estrogen successfully. And then the gut, we want to focus on fermented foods like yogurt, kimchi, kombucha, sauerkraut. They contain a lot of probiotics, which are healthy gut bacteria. We also want a lot of fiber. Not only is fiber great for your gut, it also helps you get regular, right? It helps you poop. And poop is a huge priority with estrogen because believe it or not, the excess estrogen that's already been used in your body is excreted through poop. Okay. And so we want to make sure we have regular good bowel movements every single day. And we do this by not only supporting the gut with fermented foods, but also eating a variety of fiber sources. 
oats, beans, avocados, artichokes, sprouted bread, root vegetables. So you can see this kind of can span a lot of different meals, right? If I want to eat more fiber, I can add oats to my breakfast. I can include beans with my omelet in the morning. I can maybe top my grilled chicken with avocado, or maybe I have a sandwich with sprouted bread and I include a root vegetable like sweet potatoes for dinner. So a lot of these fiber-rich foods should make an appearance in all three of your meals and snacks. That's going to ensure you get a good variety and keep your gut super healthy. And then soy products. Soy is very controversial with estrogen, but it really doesn't need to be as long as you're focusing on minimally processed soy. So that means tofu, tempeh, edamame. Those are your very minimally processed soy products. They go through very little modification. So when you think about something like morning crumbles, which are a soy-based meat imitation, that has gone through a lot of processing. That is not the kind of soy that we want to consume. Also, soy in protein bars and other frozen products and shelf-stable products is generally not going to be the kind of soy that we want. We want things that have not gone through much modification and processing like tofu, tempeh, and edamame. And you can put those in stir fries. You can include them in things like salads even. You can put tofu in your air fryer. So there are a lot of different ways that you can include. But these are going to be your most important foods to include. Cruciferous vegetables, fermented foods, fiber-rich foods, and soy products, as well as shrimp, beef, and organ meat. Again, we want to get the zinc and B12 because that's going to really help with ovulation and healthy egg quality which are really, really important for a healthy cycle. What are some other factors that impact your estrogen? There are a few. Alcohol. So we know that even one drink can increase your blood levels of estrogen. That doesn't mean that you can't drink alcohol, but I would strongly recommend that if you tend to drink every night or if you have multiple drinks, maybe you have two drinks every weekend night, Friday and Saturday, and maybe even Sunday, you want to try to taper off the amount and frequency, try to limit to four drinks per week and use mostly lower sugar mix-ins. So if you are used to having cocktails or vodka and Sprite or things like that, let's try to go with something that has less sugar added. And for sure, we want to make an effort to reduce binge drinking. And binge drinking is considered as having more than three drinks in one sitting. Okay. So if you go out and you drink three beers, let's try to do something about that. Maybe you alternate a beer with a seltzer and you end the night with just two beers instead of three. That's progress. So we know that even though we want to limit to four drinks per week, it's better to spread them out over the course of the week and not drink four drinks in one night. There's a different effect in your body. That's going to really burden the liver. And the reason that alcohol is so tied to estrogen is that both are processed in the liver. And so if you drink alcohol, your body is going to prioritize metabolizing the alcohol and it's not going to have as much capacity to deal with estrogen. And that's why estrogen levels can rise when someone drinks a lot because your liver is not available to digest and metabolize the estrogen. It's busy digesting and metabolizing your alcohol. Toxin exposure, so things like pesticides, plastics, BPA, we are going to talk about this in a whole other session dedicated to this topic, reducing endocrine disruptors, reducing toxins in your day. But one of the easy things that you can do right now is 
eliminate as much plastic from your day as possible. And that means heating up your leftovers in glass, not plastic containers, and making sure that you are not, you know, leaving a bottle of water in your car on a hot day and then drinking the water because the plastic does have an interaction, especially when it comes in contact with heat and those plastic byproducts can leach into your food and water. And then smoking. We know that smoking is not great on many different levels. So if you are a smoker, now is the time to consider some alternatives, some treatment, some way of quitting or significantly reducing the amount of cigarettes you smoke. All right, the luteal phase. So now we've ovulated. And after ovulation is when progesterone is secreted. And so the best way to increase progesterone levels is to ovulate and have a healthy egg maturation and egg quality. And so everything that you do throughout the month is helping with ovulation and releasing a good amount of progesterone. So it's not like when you ovulate is when you should start caring about it. These are all things you should do all throughout the month, especially because like I said before, it takes a hundred days for your body to ovulate and kind of select, you know, the, the egg and get them to mature and eventually get released. And so we want to be consistent with this and we don't need to segment how we eat based on the phases of the cycle. But this is the luteal phase and it takes usually 10 to 16 days. And what happens is that the empty follicle, the one that the egg was released from, becomes a tissue called the corpus luteum. It's kind of like an organ in and of itself. And that new organ, which was the follicle, now that it's ovulated and it doesn't have use anymore as a a follicle for releasing an egg because there's no egg there, it becomes the corpus luteum and it releases progesterone. Now, progesterone is of course a hormone that's very important for supporting a pregnancy, right? That's why it's called progesterone is progestation, but it does a lot more than that. It also opposes estrogen. So if you didn't ovulate and your body didn't make progesterone, your estrogen will continue to rise. There's nothing that's going to counteract it. And if your estrogen continues to rise, you're going to continue to feel signs of inflammation and PMS, like tender breasts and bloating and irritability. And even, you know, maybe even you'll see weight gain and you'll see a lot of symptoms, migraines, you'll see a lot of symptoms that are related to inflammation. And that's because there was no progesterone to oppose the estrogen in your body. Progesterone reduces inflammation, whereas estrogen promotes inflammation if it's excreted in excess. So progesterone is important for that. It's also important for promoting sleep, protecting against heart disease and cancer. So this all makes sense because like I said before, too much estrogen can increase the risk for those conditions. And also progesterone is kind of like the chill hormone. It makes you more likely, and it makes it easier for your body to cope with stress. And so we all need progesterone, not just for pregnancy, but for all its other benefits. Okay. Now, as a side note, you cannot ovulate and not have either a period or a pregnancy. So if you get a period, you have ovulated most likely, but in some cases, And again, if you get a period on a regular schedule every 30, 35, 25 days, 
you have likely ovulated. If you see some consistency and regularity in your period, it is likely that you've ovulated and that's great news. If you ovulate and you don't get a period, you've confirmed ovulation and you don't get a period within 10 to 14 days after, you are likely pregnant, okay? And so these are pretty much the only two options. However, and this is where it can get confusing, you can bleed without ovulation. You can get a bleed, but have not ovulated. How? Well, because estrogen rises and causes this thickening of your uterine lining in the first phase of your cycle, even if there's no ovulation, estrogen eventually will begin to drop, even if ever so slightly, and the uterine lining will shed. Okay, estrogen is what stabilizes your uterine lining. And so if it starts to drop, the uterine lining is not stabilized anymore, it's going to drop. It's going to shed, which is, of course, the bleeding that you see. And so if you bleed every 50 or 60 days, or sometimes you bleed on the 40th day and sometimes on the 60th day, and you really can tell there's no rhyme or reason to it, and you bleed a little bit in between, there is likely no ovulation. So if your cycle is very, very long, if it's very, very heavy, if you tend to get spotting, there is likely no ovulation. That's called an anovulatory cycle. And when you're on the pill, by the way, None of this is happening. You don't have phases. You don't have ovulation. And so many times doctors will prescribe the pill saying that this will regulate your cycle. It didn't regulate your cycle. It just shut down ovulation. So you're not getting the rise and fall in estrogen and progesterone. You're not ovulating. You're not doing any of those things. The bleed that you're getting is essentially this bleed that I'm talking about here. It's a withdrawal bleed. It's when you're you're stopping to take the pill or you take the placebo pills and then your estrogen drops and you get a bleed, but there was no ovulation. Okay, so in the luteal phase, after you've ovulated, you don't feel as great, right? There could be cramps, there could be mood swings, there could be PMS. However, if you've taken care of your estrogen levels earlier in the cycle, you shouldn't feel all of these things, okay? But you may feel hungrier. That is normal. Some PMS is normal. So you may feel some blood sugar fluctuations and therefore you'll be hungrier. You may have some digestive changes. So what we want here is to promote, of course, healthy progesterone production. And we want to keep supporting the corpus luteum to release as much progesterone as your body needs to support a pregnancy, even if you don't plan to get pregnant, because that's just good, a good healthy measure. You also want to make sure you're balancing blood sugar levels, reducing those insulin levels, reducing PMS as much as possible, as well as promoting relaxation and stable energy. So how do we do that? Here are top five foods that will help support your progesterone levels. Selenium rich, rich foods are very important for this. So these are things like seafood, salmon, both of which are excellent for reducing inflammation as well. And so that's a good, a good thing. And Brazil nuts, you may not know this, but one Brazil nut per day, those are those big nuts. One Brazil nut every day has 100% of your selenium that you need for the day. That's pretty cool, right? 
All right, berries, of course, antioxidants and fiber. We need all of those during this phase. High magnesium foods. Magnesium really helps with progesterone production. So dark leafy greens, a lot of nuts and seeds like pumpkin and sunflower seeds are great. Dark chocolate, woohoo! Whole grains as well as avocados. Those are really high magnesium foods. Ginger and turmeric can relieve some digestive issues here and lower inflammation so your progesterone can work better. So those are great to cook with. And then because you have more insulin resistance and you're more prone to cravings during this time, I would suggest focusing on naturally sweet foods like sweet potatoes and you know having a snack that combines dried fruit with nuts and seeds like a couple dates with a few, you know, a handful of pumpkin seeds. That could be a great progesterone supporting snack and fresh fruit, of course. So if you pair that with Greek yogurt to support your gut, or if, you know, you do something like berries and dark chocolate, that could be a great snack for this phase and for supporting your progesterone production as well. And then I put bone broth here. Bone broth is something that can help you with extra protein. It's also very soothing. So if you're someone who does have PMS, you can sip on bone broth in between your meals, give you a little extra nutrition and collagen for protein. That could be a little bonus there. Let's talk about lifestyle factors for increasing progesterone. So here's alcohol again. Okay. So we talked about it increasing estrogen So again, try limiting to four drinks per week, avoid binge drinking as much as possible. We know that alcohol can really worsen PMS, stress management. So when you're stressed, your body produces more adrenaline to kind of help you cope. And adrenaline can block progesterone receptors. So studies show that when someone is stressed, they don't make enough progesterone and their tissues are not as responsive to progesterone. So that's one thing that could be harmful there. But also when you're stressed, your body is less likely to support a pregnancy because your body is always protecting you and it's looking for the optimal conditions for conception. And so if you're stressed and your blood sugar is all over the place and you're having a lot of symptoms and your body feels like the conditions are not optimal, you would likely not ovulate or make enough progesterone to sustain a pregnancy. And that's just your body's way of protecting you. So stress management in this phase is really important. One thing that we know is very beneficial for PCOS fertility and for stress management, of course, is yoga, meditation, journaling. Those are all scientifically proven to help enhance progesterone and ovulation. Supplements. Let's talk about that. There's one particularly that I like is very effective, and that is B6. Again, very effective for increasing progesterone levels. B6 helps your body produce progesterone and reduce inflammation. So there are some sources of vitamin B6 that are food sources, but if you are not ovulating or if you have a very short luteal phase, meaning your cycles are shorter than 21 days, maybe you bleed every 18 days or 19 days, that likely means that you have a very short luteal phase and you want to prolong it. 
you want more progesterone. If you have a short luteal phase and a short cycle, it likely means you're not making enough progesterone. And so we want to make sure that you're getting the vitamins you need and B6 really helps. Let's talk a little bit about seed cycling. You may have heard about seed cycling, and that is when you consume certain seeds at different times of your cycle. Okay. So the idea behind this is that seeds help you balance your hormones and support fertility through the phytoestrogens, minerals, and healthy fats that are in them, but the science is not quite there. And the reason that I say the science isn't there is that seed cycling follows a very specific schedule of cycling the seeds. And it says that you need to eat one tablespoon each per day of flax seeds and pumpkin seeds in the first half of your cycle, and then sunflower and sesame seeds in the second half of your cycle. Now, the issue with this is that really the cycling portion is not that significant. I recommend including the variety of seeds that you like, maybe that's flax and sunflower seeds all throughout the month and on a daily basis, really. Okay. So it could be a lot of work. It could be very tedious to think about which phase of your cycle you're in and what seeds are relevant today. We don't really need that added stress and preoccupation with food. And so for me, Yes to the seeds, no to the cycling, right? We don't need to cycle them. I would say take three months, add one tablespoon of your favorite seeds every single day or most days and forget about the cycling part. You're going to see that within three months, if you do a tablespoon or two of any type of seed that you like, pumpkin, sunflower, flax seeds, most days, you're going to see a difference and it's not going to feel like too much work. So because the science is not there regarding the cycling and the scheduling of the, the seeds, I don't think it's important enough to follow right now. And what matters most is the bigger picture of your diet, not which seed you're eating on what day. Again, we don't want to get bogged down with stuff like this. Don't sweat the small stuff. Let's include seeds on a regular basis in your salads, in your yogurt, in your oatmeal, and don't worry about scheduling them perfectly. Okay, there is one question I want to answer. You talked about high estrogen levels, symptoms, and causes. Is it possible to have lower than normal estrogen levels? Yes, it's possible. And with PCOS, it can be common. So we see either higher estrogen levels or low estrogen levels. And one of the things, the two things that help with balancing your estrogen, so would be really working on your gut health and including foods with phytoestrogens. So everything that I mentioned so far, specifically the variety of fiber, the fermented foods, and including soy products that are minimally processed, all three of these things will help because there are specific bacteria in your gut that are responsible for keeping the balance of estrogen. And also we know from studies that soy not only helps reduce estrogen, which is a more common problem, but it also helps increase estrogen levels. So it's balancing whether it's higher or lower at baseline. Soy products can help maintain a balance, a healthy balance of estrogen. So it's still relevant if someone has low estrogen levels to include those foods. So the soy products, the minimally processed, so tofu, tempeh, and edamame, the fiber for gut health, and then the importance of promoting healthy gut bacteria, specifically the ones that target estrogen levels, 
And that's going to come from fermented foods. Okay. So hopefully that makes sense. Fermented foods like Greek yogurt, kimchi, kombucha, tofu and tempeh as well. Okay. So some final thoughts about what we talked about today. And I have five of them. The first one is that balanced eating that is consistent and nutritious, including these foods throughout the month, is what's going to optimize your menstrual cycle and really keep your estrogen and progesterone balanced. We want to focus throughout the month on the food and habits that will help you. And that's the stuff I shared today. Don't worry so much about the different phases of the cycle and knowing where you are. It's good to know, but it's not important or necessary in order for you to regulate your cycle. If you include everything we talked about today and spread it out and have good variety and consistency throughout the month, you're going to do great. Whatever you do, and that, by the way, includes workouts, has to feel good in your body. Please don't eat anything that you absolutely can't stand. Please don't do a workout that you regret, resent, or dread, right? That's not the point because you won't be able to stay consistent with it. So we want to make sure that we keep the things that you love. Don't worry about everything else. There's no shoulds. There's nothing you should be doing, okay? We don't want to be shoulding all over ourselves, right? We want to do the things that we love, what we can actually sustain and feel excited about. And that's how you build a healthy lifestyle. So whatever you do should feel good in your body. Adaptogens and reducing endocrine disruptors in something we didn't get into very deeply today, they can really help here as well as targeted period supplements. So if you're inside the period return plan, we have a separate session, a couple sessions dedicated specifically to this. Well, we'll dive deeper. We'll talk about what supplements and adaptogens are good for your body. Adaptogens are plants and herbs that help your body deal with stress, reduce inflammation, and really regulate your periods. So we'll talk about that as well as how to reduce toxins separately in an upcoming meeting. And then most importantly, we talked about a lot of different strategies today. Please work on one thing at a time, okay? Don't overwhelm yourself. Don't set the bar so, so high that you can't keep it up. Just work on one change at a time and then you can build from there, okay? All right, so that was it for today. I hope you learned something about managing your estrogen, progesterone, how your cycle works, what to look for, what are the important things to focus on. And then if you are inside the program, you have a meal plan to go along with today's materials so that you can implement it, see how these concepts are in practice, right? Exactly what to eat, what to do, what to cook, what to prep for the week in order to prioritize your estrogen and progesterone. 